are listening to audio from Emmanuel Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more resources like this one, go to EmmanuelBirmingham.com. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Absolute futility, says the teacher. Absolute futility, everything is futile. What does a person gain for all his efforts that he labors at under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets. Panting, it returns to the place where it rises. Gusting to the south, turning to the north, turning, turning, goes the wind, and the wind returns in its cycles. All the streams flow to the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are wearisome, more than anyone can say. The eye is not satisfied by seeing or the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Can one say about anything, look, this is new. It has already existed in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of those who came before and of those who will come after there will, also, there will also be no remembrance by those who follow them. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, worship team, and thank you, James. Good morning, church family. Today we are beginning a, a new series from the Old Testament through the book of Ecclesiastes. As a church, we celebrate and believe that all scripture is inspired by God, and useful for teaching and equipping and training in godliness. And because scripture is inspired, it's profitable. When Paul said all scripture, when he was writing to Timothy, he specifically was referring to the Jewish treasury of writings that we call the Old Testament, including the most obscure passages of Bible history and law, and prophecy, and certainly also books that are designated as the Jewish wisdom literature, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Your pastors want you to be steeping in these ancient books. You want to put these in the warm waters of your heart, draw out the truth that is there, get wisdom, get understanding for life. Ecclesiastes is, is one of those books, it's for that purpose, and it is a one-of-a-kind book of the Bible. Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes has comparison to other literature outside of the Bible, but no other book in the Old Testament is like it. Most of Ecclesiastes is spoken from the voice and the perspective of the preacher or the teacher. The Hebrew word there is kohelet, kohelet. And that word means a person who assembles a congregation. He's speaking to an audience. The term the preacher or Kohelet is used repeatedly in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, 7, and 12 to identify the person who is talking. 
Some have classified Ecclesiastes as a sermon, but in terms of genre, it really reads more like an ancient Middle Eastern form of autobiography, uh, sort of a cautionary tale autobiography, which often was written in the voice of a king or a ruler. And this autobiography is going to be framed usually by the voice of a narrator who makes an introduction and gives some closing remarks. And so that structure is present in Ecclesiastes. And it's a fairly straightforward structure once you identify those parts of the book. So chapter 1, verses 2 through 11, which we're going to cover today, is a prologue of sorts where someone is introducing the theme of the preacher's message. He is introducing Kohelet before Kohelet actually begins speaking in uh, chapter 1, verse 12. Kohelet speaks through the remainder of the book until you get to chapter 12, verse 8. And then the narrator comes back and concludes uh, the book. The earlier chapters of Ecclesiastes are mostly the autobiographical perspective of Kohelet and his vision of what life is and what he has learned from it. And then he also gives some more proverbial advice in the later chapters of Ecclesiastes. So again, you have a prologue, which we're covering today. You have Kohelet's message and then a closing again uh, by the narrator. The voice of the preacher Kohelet has long been believed to be King Solomon, David and Bathsheba's son, the king of Israel after David. Kohelet is identified in chapter 1, verse 1, as son of David, king in Jerusalem. And again in verse 12, when he begins speaking in the first person, he says, I have been or I was king over Israel in Jerusalem. And while many accept that Solomon is the author of Ecclesiastes, there are a good number of faithful evangelical scholars who don't believe that, and they base that doubt on the following. One is there are inconsistencies in the Hebrew language that is used in Ecclesiastes that doesn't match Solomon's contemporaries historically. So the language is just dated further into the future. It seems like a flag there. Kohelet secondly complains about things over which a king would have some control, like oppression, for, in, for instance. And so it makes it odd that a king like Solomon would complain about something that he could have corrected. Uh, third, the history books of Israel do not indicate that Solomon feared the Lord at the end of his life. We'll cover that in just a second. And so if you were to believe Ecclesiastes was his writing, then he had some sort of turning point in repentance where he comes back into fearing the Lord and following him. Your pastors do not take a strong position on the authorship of Ecclesiastes because the book is, has been and is credited as inspired and authoritative even before the time of Christ. And frankly, the truth that we find in Ecclesiastes remains regardless of who wrote it. And so we might at times refer to Kohelet or the preacher as Solomon. We can certainly all agree that Ecclesiastes was intended to be written as though it came from the voice of Solomon. Uh, somebody who's speaking at the end of his life on Solomon's behalf to give us his wisdom as an aged king. If you look at the Old Testament historical account of Solomon's life, you know that he had a good start. He asked the Lord for an understanding mind to govern Israel. He said, Lord, give me an understanding mind that I may discern between good and evil. You see this in 1 Kings chapter 3. 
He remarkably asked for that instead of prosperity or safety from his enemies. And verse 10 says, It pleased the Lord that Solomon asked this. And God said to him, Because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. And Solomon so thereby started his kingship well. The Bible says that none was ever as wise as he. The kings of the earth came to consult him. None was ever as judicious. He did justice and equity. None was ever so prosperous. He constructed a beautiful, lavish temple in Jerusalem where God's presence came to abide. But after these initial successes and his first reputation for discerning justice and imparting unparalleled wisdom, he turned away to the gods of his many foreign wives and concubines. And the Bible says that this angered the Lord. If you read 1 Kings uh, chapter 1 through 11, you'll find this account of everything I've just described to you, and you won't find any repentance at the end of Solomon's life. He just dies. And when you think about Solomon, instead of Ecclesiastes, you might be thinking instead of the book of Proverbs, which is more familiar to us, and it's certainly more hopeful reading for your quiet time and devotion. And the book of Proverbs is uh, this plea to you to heed the voice of wisdom. And wisdom is personified in Proverbs chapter 8 and paints for us this picture of God who is beckoning us to come and listen and learn. Proverbs 8 verses 1 and four say, does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. So we have this image of wisdom in the street pleading to listen. Please come and listen. It promises this, all the words of my mouth are righteous. There's nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver, my knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Prizing, exalting wisdom. This sounds like a young Solomon, for sure. Seeking wisdom, desiring wisdom above everything else. Ecclesiastes and Proverbs differ, though, strongly in their presentation of wisdom and how to get wisdom. Proverbs generally speaks of life in this world as the way things can and should be. So Proverbs makes some soft promises, but they're better understood as just principles. If you do X, you will get Y. If you do not do X, you will get Z. For an example of a proverb principle in use, Proverbs tells us that if we train our children, discipline them, in the way that they should go, teach them to fear the Lord, then they will grow wise. They will do what is right, and they will bring their parents delight and rest. But if you don't discipline them, Proverbs says, they will 
suffer pain, and their pain will cause you, the parent, pain as well. Many Proverbs say this. Another example of a Proverbs uh, principle would be that if you work hard and you plan for the future, you will not be hungry in seasons of winter. And that principle is repeated over and over. Uh, hard work, you'll be okay. Laziness, you're going to suffer. Now, we who have lived a minute know that there are exceptions to those rules, and therefore Proverbs are not promises. Faithful parents might still have unfaithful children. Hard workers might still suffer in circumstances that are beyond their control. But there is generally this hope that if you learn to be wise and listen, then your life will be easier to bear. If Proverbs is telling us how things can be and should be, Ecclesiastes is uh, a different angle. It is speaking of life in the world as it is in its most broken state, and particularly as the world is apart from the hope that we have in Christ. It has a hopeless tone. If you have spent much time in Ecclesiastes, you know that it is a sobering book. If you've not spent much time in Ecclesiastes before, you need to be prepared for some bitter realizations, some hard knocks. There are few silver linings, and this is all coming from a voice who most often sounds cynical. It's not always clear to us that the preacher, Kohelet, trusts God, and you might even scratch your head at times and say, are we reading the Bible right now? Is this in the Bible? Yes, it is. What are the major themes or the motifs of Ecclesiastes. I want to share two big ones with you as we introduce this series. One major theme is that no matter who you are, your life is and will be difficult. Ecclesiastes repeatedly uses a phrase that we see first in chapter 1, verse 3, under the sun, under the sun. And this is the way he sees the world and describes the world. And you may have noticed that that we, we might title this sermon series through Ecclesiastes accordingly. What does it mean to live life under the sun, to toil under the sun, to see evil under the sun, to get wisdom under the sun. It could simply mean life as we humans experience on this side of the ground, because after death, we're not under the sun anymore, but under the ground. It is also likely that the language under the sun is alluding to our exile from Eden in Genesis. Living under the sun is life after the fall, subject to the curse of the fall, without hope in God and the person that we know to be Jesus Christ. It is life separated from the gloriously perfect and uninterrupted presence of the good God who made us. Any, anybody can agree, I think, with what we're going to find in Ecclesiastes, because we all know what it's like to live and suffer apart from Christ. Adam and Eve experienced God in his presence and his goodness and holiness for a time, but we know what happened to them. And Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 29 acknowledges that this paradise has been lost. Kohelet says that God made men upright, but they have sought out many schemes. In chapter 3 verse 11, he also says that God put eternity in our heart. And together, these verses are acknowledging that we were not always so broken and twisted and prone to evil as we are now. We were made with the capacity to know God and reflect him, honor him perfectly. 
Yet Ecclesiastes otherwise takes a low view of us as humans, godlessly and futilely toiling, striving for, and delighting in all the wrong things, even oppressing other people along the way. Looking back at Genesis and the parallel for our preacher's description of life under the sun, consider the role of the sun when the curse is announced in Genesis 3.17. To Adam, God said, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Work was not always so difficult. Work in the garden before the fall, subduing the earth, was delightful. It was pleasant. It had nothing to do with whether or not you had something to eat at the end of the day. But work after the fall is hard and sweaty, and it's essential that you do it if you want to stay alive. After the fall, the breeze and the shade are gone. The gnats are swarming. The sun is helping your food to grow, yes, but it's also causing cursed weeds to sprout up and thorns to spread and choke out your good fruit. And the fields sometimes suffer from not enough rain, and the ground is scorched by the sun. And in another season, the sun is not seen enough, and the fields will flood. And either way, there is a meager harvest. It is hard to come by. And moreover, even when the weather cooperates, the sun is always going to be hot on your head. Your skin will get burned. Your body will grow weary. Such is life as we know it. It is so literally for a farmer and metaphorically for the rest of us, even in air conditioning. To keep us humble, God says that Adam and his children, in their daily work for survival, will have to keep their hands working in the very thing, the dust, that their bodies will one day be reduced to after death. Man was made to subdue the earth, but after Eden, it looks like the earth is subduing him. Kohelet echoes Genesis and this curse in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 20, when he repeats, all are from the dust, and to dust all return. This certainty of death is reiterated throughout Ecclesiastes. I had an English teacher in 10th grade who was, I think, very good, but particularly hard. <laughs> and so the students would often complain to her. And I remember distinctly somebody complaining one day about having to memorize this long passage out of Julius Caesar. And she turns around from the chalkboard and kind of pouts out her lip and says, Life is hard. And then you die. <laughs> and she turned around and kept writing on the board. Life is hard. And then you die. That's not the gospel, but she's not wrong. She was a good pupil of Kohelet. Ecclesiastes is a reflection on life experienced in these difficult conditions, working ourselves literally and until death under the sun. There are other themes in Ecclesiastes that recur. When you read the book, it's hard not to notice this repetition of the word vanity or futility or meaninglessness, vanity of vanities. I believe you'll find at least 32 verses by my count, I could be wrong on that, which include this same word, and the word is hevel, in Hebrew, what is hevel? It means vapor or smoke. To its credit, the message translation of the Bible just uses the word smoke in the place of vanity. How is life hevel? 
How is it smoke? Well, you can see smoke, but you cannot hold on to it. You can smell it, but not forever. Don't try to chase it down. Don't try to bottle it and harness smoke. It's a waste of time. It cannot be done. Hence, there are parallel references in the ESV and the CSB that human efforts of work and pleasure and learning are all like chasing after the wind. If I asked you right now to go outside and chase the wind for me, would you ever accomplish that mission? Could you ever report to me that you were done, you caught it? Kohelet is telling us, so also is everything done under the sun. Work, seeking pleasure, getting wisdom, making a name for yourself, reforming things, even seeking justice. He says it's Hevel. Hevel in the morning, Hevel in the evening, Hevel at supper time. You name it, more Hevel. The preacher himself, and through the voice of the frame narrator at the beginning here, at chapter 1, verse 2, says, all is Hevel. In verse 3, the frame narrator asks us rhetorically, in the words of the preacher, what does it gain a man by all this toil that he's done under the sun? After reading verse 2, we know that the answer is going to be a big fat nothing, but why is it? Why is it this way? Why is all work vanity? Because the gain of work does not last. It is spent, and then you have to do more work. And any excess gain that you might have from your work, you can't take with you once you've died. And so he says in verse 4, a generation goes and a generation comes. So again, work under the sun does not buy us immortality, doesn't rescue us from death. Everyone is going to die one way or another. They might prolong their days with wisdom, but their days are nevertheless numbered. The relationship between verse 3 and 4 is that you will be replaced. Your work will be done by another human, and they also will be replaced by yet another human. Someone else will do your work one day, and you have no control over that. In a novel by the writer Anne Lamott, one of her characters asks this question, why do we worry everything to death like dogs with socks or chew toys? Look at it this way. In a hundred years, all new people. Indeed. In a hundred years, all new people. That is sobering and humbling. There might be a baby back there that, that survives us all. Can tell you about this sermon in a hundred years. But not likely that any of the rest of us will be around. The Switchfoot song says it well. Gone. You're going, going, gone, like summer break is gone, like Saturday is gone. Just try to prove me wrong and pretend like you're immortal. In contrast to our mortality, Kohelet sees other parts of the creation, the sun, the wind, waters, continuing on without us from his perspective forever. The preacher sees the earth itself although it outlasts us, continuing to do the same vainly repetitive work that we did. Trimper Longman explains creation is characterized by this apparent change that disguises the actual sameness. The sun rises and sets. The wind comes and goes and comes back again. The rain falls on the land masses, drains into the streams and the rivers, flows to the ocean, and the water cycle repeats. The ocean never gets full. This restless, never-ceasing toil 
in nature is resonant with Paul's description of creation in Romans 8, that God has subjected the creation to futility. Life for us humans before we die is much the same as what we see in Ecclesiastes 1 and this description of creation. We wake. We do the thing that needs to be done. We sleep. We wake. We do the thing that needs to be done, and it probably came undone from yesterday and deteriorated since we last did it. We do all this work again, and we sleep. Repeat. You wonder what you've accomplished sometimes. When we began entrusting chores to our children, they complained that I just swept the floor. You have arrived. Level two. Welcome to futility. Yes, we just swept the floor, and it needs to be swept again. How does that make you feel when you think about life this way? It makes me feel tired, very tired. And so Ecclesiastes 1.8 agrees with that. It says life makes you tired. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. This is so mind-bogglingly desperate and overwhelming that we don't even have words to say how this makes us feel. And so we join Kohelet, perhaps, and pronounce that it's all meaningless, vain, futile, smoke. Chapter 1, verse 8 continues, The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Have you ever finished a TV series and said, I'm good. I don't, I'm not going to watch anything ever, ever again. Have you ever listened to an album and decided, this is the one. I'm putting this on repeat for the next three decades. I don't want to listen to anything else. Nothing can top Mariah Carey, 1996. I'm sticking here, right? No, we want something else. I will just keep this on repeat. No, no. It brought momentary delight, but nothing really scratched that itch. According to verse 9, these things are dull and unsatisfying because it's always just more of the same. There's nothing new under the sun. As we will see in future sermons, we unfortunately find things that are even more substantial than entertainment, like learning, sex, career, trying to make the world a better place. Those things can be just as unfulfilling and seemingly futile. Moving to verses 9 through 11, Kohelet says that humans are destined to repeat their history and not learn from it because generations die and then the grandchildren have to come and figure things out again for themselves. So all they will do is just a repetition of what has been done before them. He says what has been is what will be. What has been done is what will be done. There's nothing new. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new. It's been done already in the ages before us. There's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. Most superficially, trying to keep this light, you can see this truth in fashion. Why are we doing scrunchies again, guys? Why? Why are we doing, why are we doing cargo shorts again? God, why? <laughs> My wife and I have been repainting our house this week, and it occurred to me that there are really good reasons that your grandparents' house looks trapped in time. At some point, they got this dose of Ecclesiastes, and they're like, we are never redecorating again. The trends will continue to change, and the green shag carpet will make a comeback. <clears throat> but more seriously, you might read verses 9 through 11 and protest and say, the preacher's perspective is outdated. This is ancient, because humans are still seeking, after all, and making 
many advancements in science and technology, medicine. We're going to Mars, guys. Indeed, we are. Life is different today, even than when I was born, or when you were born, for sure. But ask yourself this, are these technological changes impacting two of the fundamental human problems that we have identified this morning just in the introduction? Mortality? We overcoming that yet? To lack of human contentment? No. If we cannot overcome these obstacles, our pursuits are, according to the preacher, futile. So how do you approach Ecclesiastes spiritually? You might be feeling depressed already just by what we've read. It is truly, without Christ, the perspective of Ecclesiastes is truly depressing. You might just want to go home, turn on dust in the wind, have a drink, go to sleep. (laughs) All we are is dust in the wind. Saddest song. The eternal optimist in the room may find this book to be a killjoy. You might cringe at what we have to say from Ecclesiastes and just want to go escape to a happy place. And if that's you, I want you to know that you might need Ecclesiastes more than you know. This week, I spent a few hours at the side of my uncle before he passed on Thursday night. I loved him very much, and I got to tell him that. I was thankful to be with him. I'm thankful that he believed in Jesus. He had hope. He doesn't have an Ecclesiastes worldview. He has more. But it was hard to be there. It was hard to see him in indignity and suffering. And so as I'm there looking at it, Knowing that I'm preaching Ecclesiastes this week, I'm telling myself, take it in, Ben. Take it all in. This is Adam's curse. This is your curse. This is your children's curse. All have sinned and died in Adam. You are not immortal. You are not permanent. You are aging, and you will die perhaps sooner than you expect. Ecclesiastes promises that there's a time to be born and a time to die. Sometimes we need a dose of realism like that. We need to be jolted by the prospect of our mortality and the eternity that is far greater than what we see in this life. Psalm 90 verse 12 prays to God, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Pray that for you. Pray that for me. Teach us, God, to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. You might need Ecclesiastes for this reason as well. Zach Eswine opens his book on Ecclesiastes, Recovering Eden, with this observation. One of the ways that God leads us to know him is by making us pay attention to ourselves. He reveals himself by recovery of our humanity. He shows us what we were made for and then bids us to look at what has become of us. This is what you will want to admit about Ecclesiastes. God intends you to know him by requiring you to look plainly and without polish at yourself, your neighbors, and the world in which you're living. Quoting John Calvin, he says, We are prompted by our own ills 
to contemplate the good things of God. In the Spirit's hands, Ecclesiastes confronts us with our own ills in order that by knowing ourselves as we are, we might come to know God as he is. And so for those of you who are recoiling from Ecclesiastes, take off the rose-colored glasses and look plainly at your life, at yourself. What have you become under the sun? Often, Beholding what is unpleasant and hard to bear makes our delight in God and our love for God increase. Great sinners, after all, have a great Savior in Jesus. And because of his grace, it's safe. It is safe to look at yourself and the darkness within because the light has shone in the darkness and cannot overcome it. Second, How are we to approach Ecclesiastes? We're to ask the hard questions and let them linger. Ecclesiastes does this. It's much like Job. Some of us might feel uncomfortable, though, with the hard questions. But the Bible tolerates the hard questions. And so we can make room for our questions. We can make room for the questions of others. We may not immediately have the answers, but God does. The questions don't threaten him. They shouldn't threaten us. So we can embrace hard questions. Third, some of you uh, may not be the sunny side of life type people, but are Debbie Downers, and you prefer to call yourself realists. And you receive this book with a lot of head nods and side eyes, and I told y'all it was like this. And you need to be kind and patient with everybody else who's not so enlightened, okay? Also you will note that not everything Kohelet has to say in Ecclesiastes is enough. It's not complete. It takes a narrow view of life under the sun without Jesus. And so the world is fallen, as Ecclesiastes describes, but Eden has been recovered for us through Jesus, and we are allowed certain foretaste of paradise, even while we're suffering under the sun. Kohelet will point those out to us. I look forward to those those weeks. As we continue through the book, you will also see that Kohelet does not hate God. He says that God has made all things beautiful, that there are times for celebrating. There are times, if there are times for celebrating, there are things worth celebrating. He says that work can be good and rewarding, He says that fallen created things might get bored uh, and suffer uh, for want of more, but um, these things can still be received with thanksgiving. So if you look at the end of Ecclesiastes in chapter 12, verse 13, the frame narrator summarizes the preacher's message, and we'll get there when we get there. He might be even critiquing Kohelet by saying that we should fear God and keep his commandments. So if chapter 1, verse 2 was a universal proposition that we have to accept as true, that everything is futile, then knowing God and obeying him would also be futile. But we know that it's not futile to know and obey God. So Ecclesiastes is not nihilism. We have to keep this end of Ecclesiastes in view from the beginning as we read today, and not use the harshness of the preacher's view about life to justify our own harsh outlook on life. And so 
I want to pray and ask God to give us a heart of wisdom and understanding as we seek to make sense of this book um, as a church, as we go through this sermon series. So let me pray for you and, and me. Father, everything we really believe, it's inspired. Everything in the Bible is from you and it's profitable for us. Lord, make this a profitable exercise, God. It feels hopeless, um, just just getting out the gate, uh, reading Ecclesiastes. It seems so tragic, but we know that there is more to the story. Uh, Jesus is alive. Jesus has conquered sin and death. Jesus is victorious. Jesus reigns. Jesus will set all things right. Jesus makes all things new. Jesus restores and heals the brokenhearted. Jesus mends up what is wounded, makes it whole. Jesus is good. As we're about to sing, Jesus is better. Lord, give us faith in that. Lord, help us to be humbled by our mortality, that we are not infinite, that we are not permanent. God, help us to also, Lord, be empowered, though, that you have put eternity in our hearts. We were made for you forever. We matter to you. What we do each day, vain and repetitious as it might feel, matters to you. We can do it in a way that's pleasing to you, that testifies to your grace and your power and your goodness. So, Lord, Lord, remind us of these things, even as we are challenged. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a sermon from Emmanuel Church. To learn more about Emmanuel or to give, go to Emmanuel with an I, Birmingham.com. You can also follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Emmanuel Birmingham.